If you'd like to look with us, we got down to the third chapter of John last time. Uh, need to back up to about verse 23 of chapter 2 because I believe that those last three verses in this beginning of chapter 3, it, it all goes together. And just for a second, let's back up to where we are in the narrative. Jesus uh, turned the water into wine at Cana of Galilee. After the wedding, He went back home and abode there just a few days, and the Passover was at Jerusalem. The Passover being one of the chief feasts of the Jewish religion, and it was one where that all of the Jews that, that were able to, they came from wherever they were living, whatever country they were in, back to Jerusalem to keep this Passover feast. And it was for the Passover that Jesus came back to Jerusalem. And so he goes into the temple, the money changers and the those that sell oxen and sheep are there. He drives them out and cleanses the temple. And then he tells them that the sign that they're going to receive of his authority, the sign, the indication of Jesus' um, power is going to be, he's, the temple's going to be destroyed and in three days he's going to resurrect it. And so in verse 23 then we read, Now when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover in the feast day, many believed in his name when they saw the miracles. And remember that word all through John, it means an indication. So these are indications that this man is more than just a man. When they saw the miracles, many believed in His name. But Jesus did not commit Himself. Now I said, and I realize the way this is translated, it's hard to see it this way. But if you go back to the Greek language, the word believed in His name in verse 23 and commit Himself to them in verse 24, that's the same word. They mean the same thing. So they believed in Jesus but Jesus did not believe in them. That's what they're saying. And so that sounds unfair, I know and recognize that. But the reason is because He knew all men and needed not that any should testify of man, for He knew what was in man. We looked at some scripture last time as well, later in John. They believed in Him and said, when the Messiah comes, when Christ comes, Will He do more miracles than Him? So you see, there's a believing going on, but it's not that Jesus is the Son of God, the Savior of the world. The believing is in this man's miracles, in His power, in His works that He's able to produce. But a genuine faith, what we would call saving faith, that I am a sinner and this man was the Lamb of God that was sacrificed to take away my sins, that belief's not really there. That happens today also. People believe in His name just as they did here. They believe in His name because they were taught it, because of the records that we have, because of the family that they grew up in. But a real genuine faith that transforms the soul is not present. So Jesus is there at the Passover. You see what's going on. There's people that believe on Him. They're seeing what He's doing. 
And in chapter 3, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. The same came to Jesus by night and said unto him, Rabbi, we know thou art a teacher come from God, for no man can do these miracles indications that thou doest, except God be with him. Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus saith unto him, How can a man be born when he's old? Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Marvel not that I said unto thee, You must be born again. The wind bloweth where it listeth. Thou hearest the sound thereof, but canst not tell whence it come and whether it goeth. So is every one that is born of the Spirit. I don't believe we'll get through all of that today, but the beginning of their conversation. So this man, Nicodemus, his name means victorious among his people. So this is a man that we read here, he was a ruler of the Jews, so first in rank or in place. And if you come on down to verse 10, art thou a master of Israel? So this was a high-ranking man of authority, likely on the Sanhedrin court, a man of great knowledge and understanding. And in the midst of these works that the Lord's done at the Passover, I mean, when they look and they see, and, and really, it's, it's a logical thing to say, we know you're come from God. We know you're a teacher that's come from God because of these works that you're doing. We see the mighty works that you've performed, and we know that there's something greater about you than there is in the rest of the world. You're greater than just a man because if you were just a man, you couldn't do what you're doing. Right. You know, that, that's not that hard to understand. And I, I recognize that we don't have a record of another miracle other than the water into wine, but we do have John's testimony that he does not record everything that this man does because the world couldn't contain the books. So there may have been other works that were done during this time that these folks were looking at and that brought Nicodemus to the place, and this is what the Bible says about him. He came to Jesus by night. So if we look at just a place or two in John itself, you're going to read about Nicodemus and everywhere you read about him, it's going to be included with his name. Nicodemus, the one that came to Jesus by night. That's what he's going to be remembered for. But you know Rahab, everywhere you read Rahab's name, she was a harlot. Now was she after the Lord intervened? No, I, I don't believe she was. But that was tied to her name. And so this, coming to Jesus by night... That's how Nicodemus is going to be recognized. Is he going to come to Jesus by night the rest of his life? Absolutely not. But here he comes by night, and why would that be? Because that he's, he's a ruler. He's a chief of the Jews. And the Bible says in John 12, 
Nevertheless, the chief rulers, many believed on him, but because of the Pharisees, they did not confess him, lest they should be put out of the synagogue. So these that would come to Jesus for teaching, these that would look to him, those that would openly confess him, the Jews and the Sanhedrin and the Pharisees, they were casting people out of the synagogue. They were excommunicating them from their religion. So this is a man of reputation. He doesn't want to be seen talking to this man Jesus. So he comes by night under the cover of darkness and approaches him. But notice that he comes. He's coming to see and to hear and to ask what the Lord's going to say. Now, how many of the other ones come to Jesus with questions? I, I don't read that there's any others that did. But notice how he starts his question. We know thou art a teacher come from God. No man can do these miracles that thou doest except God be with him. There is no question. You know what it sounds like? It sounds like he's starting his question. He's buttering him up. He's stating, well, we know this. And maybe he's going to be like the others and say, but how do we know that you are the Messiah? What are we going to see that is going to confirm to us that you are the one that's prophesied of in the Old Testament? But Jesus does not allow him to answer that question if that's where he was going. Looks like to me, it looks like Jesus cuts him off and says, Verily, verily, truly, truly, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus, except there be a work done, you're not going to be able to see the rule of God. Now, I realize, I realize it can be tiring, but this is a scripture, this is a discourse that is widely misused and misunderstood, and it's by tradition. I would like for us to be able to understand what's being said, what's being done. If you're saved, you've got what happened to you, what God did for you, that you can relate to what's being said here. So by the Spirit, by your experience in salvation, and by the Word of God, let's put all of this together. So let me ask you this question. Without, without any question, I believe, we would all agree that being born again, the literal meaning of that is to be begat from above. To be begat from above, to be born again, is absolutely necessary to be a part of the family of God. Would you agree that that's true? Except a man. So that word except, if you look it up, it means if not or unless. The only way, Nicodemus, that you can see the kingdom and later on that you can enter the kingdom is that you're born again. This is an absolute necessity that this work takes place. Now there's no discussion, I don't believe, about that. You must be born again. And if you're not, you can't see. In John 1 verse 5, you remember in the prologue, And the light shineth in darkness, 
and the darkness comprehended it not. Where's man at? He's in darkness. He's blind. He can't see. He's in sin, isn't he? He's under the power of Satan. Satan has him blinded. But if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost. You know the scripture. In whom? The God of this world hath blinded the minds. You know where the blind are at? They're in darkness. And they can't see. And so if, if we're blind, and if we're in darkness, in order for me to see the kingdom, we can understand that there's going to have to be a work done. Jesus here says, for the blind to see, he's going to have to be begotten from above. There must be a work of God done in order that the blind would see. And now we're talking spiritual blindness, spiritual darkness, a spiritual work in the inward part of man. But when does this happen? I believe you've heard it you've heard it your whole life. Come. Come and be born again. Is that how it works though? Do I get begat from above when I make a move to the Lord and fall on His face? Is that when that I am born again? If, if there's no begat again, then there's no seeing. Do you see that? I can't see the kingdom of God except that I'm born again. I'm blind and I'm in darkness. So my question is, when did this work take place then? If, if you are saved, you go back and remember the days that you were lost. And you remember, I believe you can, go back to a time that you remember that you began to see that you were lost. You began to see something that you had never seen before. What happened in order for your eyes to be open that you could begin to see your sin and the glory of the kingdom of God? That was before there was ever a move made to the Lord Jesus. Before we ever came to the altar, before I ever humbled myself down, before I ever asked for forgiveness, there was a work done. It was God's work. God opened my eyes and I could see. So do you reckon then that the necessary work that has to happen in order for a man to see the kingdom of God, that doesn't hinge on whether I come to the altar or not. This is God's work that God does in the heart of man, opening his eyes and opening his heart to the truth. Now we would call that conviction. And it's even said that we ought to pray down conviction. But what we're talking about here is being born again. Well preacher, only God can do that. That's exactly right. This is God's work. It's not that <clears throat> this can't be right. That I talk you to Christ and that then Christ saves you. God does a work before there's ever anything done to open the eyes. And if God doesn't do the work, 
then they cannot plainly see the kingdom of God. It's necessary, isn't it? This work is necessary for there to be salvation. God must open the eyes and do a work in the heart. It must happen. Ephesians 2.1 And you... Hath He quickened is in italics. That's not a part of the original written Scripture there. I'm not saying that it's wrong or that it doesn't fit. That was just added. The verse really reads, And you who were dead in trespasses and sins. They were dead. They were blind. They were in darkness. Those that are in darkness in John chapter 1, what has to happen? The light has to shine. Those that are blind in 2 Corinthians 4 that the gospel's hid to, what has to happen? The light has to shine. Them that are dead in Ephesians 2, what has to happen? The mercy of God by the Spirit must appear to them. There's a work that precedes anything that I do. I don't come and then God does. God does and that's why I come. We're talking about a call that is effectual and that accomplishes what it's sent for. It's true. If Isaiah is true, that the Word of God does not ever, the Word of God has not ever returned void, but it has always, without fail, the Word of God has always accomplished what it's sent for. And it's prospered in it. Then if the call goes out and nobody comes, well boy, that didn't work. We'll come back and try again tomorrow. If the gospel's preached, the gospel is accomplishing, the gospel will accomplish, the gospel will complete the work that God intends for that gospel to accomplish. And Paul says, in some, we're the savor of death unto death. Some, they're not going to come. What's happened? They're blind. It's hid to them. But to those that do respond, there's been a work of God done. Nicodemus, if you're going to understand this, you're going to have to be born again. There's going to have to be a work done in you of God or you'll never see it. So Jesus says, if this work doesn't happen, then you can't see the kingdom. Matthew 13, 11, because it is given to you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it is not given. <coughs> see, the idea that everybody has the same opportunity and what determines what I get is what I do, that don't line up with what Jesus says in Matthew 13. They said, why do you teach in parables? Because it's given for you to know. It's not given to them. In verse 16 there, but blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. In Matthew 16, Jesus answered and said, Blessed art thou, Simon Bar-Jonah, 
for flesh and blood hath not revealed it to thee, but my Father which is in heaven. 2 Corinthians 4, 6, God who commanded the light to shine out of darkness hath shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. What's happening over and over and over again? God is opening eyes and opening hearts to see and to understand and to respond to the gospel. And those that do respond, Simon can't look at the rest of the world that says, well, they think you're Jeremiah or John the Baptist and I'm a lot smarter than they are and I figured it out. Simon can't say, I'm thankful that I thought about it harder than everybody else and figured it out. What can Simon say? I thank God that you opened my eyes and let me to see this about me. Man lies too much on his flesh. If it had not been for God bringing you to life, opening your eyes, uh, having you to be born again, you would have never responded to the call of the gospel. And the only reason that you did respond is because God worked in you. If you leave out being born again, there is no response to the gospel. No real genuine response. You know what you wind up with? You know what churches are filled with? 23, 24, and 25 of chapter 2. People that believe in the mind, in the flesh, people with religion, but there's no genuine faith in salvation. That's what's produced by the works and deeds of the flesh. But Jesus says, Nicodemus, if you're coming in, you must be begotten from above. There's a a new birth that takes place. And it takes place before you ever come to God. If God did not do a work, you would not have come. We come to God in response to the, we say, conviction today. There's nothing wrong with that, as long as you know what it is. That's convincing. That's what the word means. What was I convinced of? God convinced me of the truth. That was God birthing me again. The convincing of the truth was the same thing that changed my mind, and that was the same thing that changed my will, And that was the same thing that produced my obedience to the gospel. All of that is rooted in the work that God did in my heart by the Spirit through the Word. If you leave out a work of God in the heart before I ever come, then I'm not coming. I will not be saved. This work takes place before I come to the altar. Without it, you can't see. You're still dead. So Nicodemus says, you think about it now. Jesus says, except a man be born again, you can't see. And Nicodemus says, what are you talking about? Do you expect me, an old man, to go back into my mother's womb and come out again? Is that what you're talking about? What's wrong with Nicodemus? 
He can't see. I mean, essentially, this is what's happening. Jesus says, if you're not born again, you can't see. And Nicodemus says, well, I can't see that. I don't know what you're saying. Is that not the way that people are today? You can talk about salvation. You can talk about judgment. You can talk about Jesus. You can talk about the cross. You can talk about a new creature. And man just does not have any idea what you're talking about. Well, I've got all of that. And you that can see, you think, my gosh, what is wrong with you? Why are, why are you continually walking into the ditch? That's easy for you to say. Your eyes have been opened. Those that are blind, they don't know where they're going. They don't know they're about to fall in the ditch again. Don't judge and be harsh on people that are lost. You know what needs to happen? They need to be born again. And if you can see, then you thank God for that, but no, that didn't have anything to do with you. Don't take any credit or glory to yourself. Don't throw down on anybody else. Because had God not opened your eyes, you'd still be in the ditch too. See, it all roots in the work of God. I can't enter into my mother's womb again. How, how can a man? That's his question. So in 1 Corinthians 1, verse 18... The preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness. Why is that? I think we know now. Why is the preaching of the cross to those that are perishing, those that are lost, those that have not been born again? Why is it foolish to them? They don't know. They can't see it, can they? They can't see the glory that is in the cross of the Lord Jesus. But to us which are saved, what's the difference between the two groups? A work of God's been done. God has opened our eyes. And you know what I can do? I can see how glorious it is that my sins were nailed to the cross of the Lord Jesus and in Him I have life and joy and peace and am saved from the wrath of God. But the sinner can't see that. This is a waste of time to them. But to us that are saved, this is our joy. Why is that? Because God's done a work in you. I just don't understand why people won't come to church. This is why people won't come to church. They're blind. And if God hadn't opened your eyes, you wouldn't have come either. Don't think you're better than anybody. But glory to God for the work that He did. Unto us which are saved, it is the power of God. What kind of power is that? It's the power that opened my eyes. Do you know how God opened my eyes? Through a man that was preaching the Word of God. The Holy Spirit worked through that preaching and open my eyes to the truth of the gospel. That was the means that God had done this work that He's talking to Nicodemus about. 1 Corinthians 2 verse 14. The natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him. 
neither can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. There must be spiritual life and understanding in order to receive the things of the kingdom of God. Why can't the carnal man receive them? The carnal mind is enmity with God. The carnal mind is the servant of Satan. The carnal mind is blinded by the devil. And so, it cannot receive the things of the Spirit of God. If you're saved, I believe you can see that enmity. Because they still clash. The carnal and the spiritual man are still they're at odds one with another. They never come together in agreement, do they? There's always a war. I want to draw closer to God. The flesh wants to please Him. And they're always against each other. So those that are lost, those without regeneration, those that are inwardly dead, all they have to think with is a carnal mind. That carnal mind can't receive the things of the kingdom of God. It's against them. It's opposed to them because of the devil that's controlling it. Not because they've made a bad choice. We were all dead from birth. This is a necessary work for all of mankind. If a man's coming to God, he must be begotten from above. Begat from above. Maybe just for a second we ought to think on that word. To begat. And Jacob begat. And David begat. Who is doing the begatting? Does the young'un, did Solomon, did he have anything to do with David's begatting of him? Did he play any part in him being begat? No, see, that's a work of the Father. And here, here is the Father. It's from above. It's not of this earth. This is a work that originated in the Father and that would not have happened without Him. We would laugh and scoff at spontaneous regeneration or at the Big Bang Theory, at all of these things that, well, that just happened and there was no cause to it. There was a cause. The cause of my salvation was not me, but it was from above that this work came. In John chapter 4 verse 11, now Jesus has offered this woman living water. And this is what she says, Sir, thou hast nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. From whence hast thou... This living water. You ain't got a cup. You don't have a bucket and a rope. You don't have a bottle of water. Where's this water coming from? Was Jesus talking in any way about a drink of water? But see, they can't see. Again, Jesus later is going to say, except you eat my flesh and drink my blood. And they say, this is a hard saying. Who can hear it? I mean, their stomach was turned. 
they thought he was saying, you're going to have to eat my flesh as a supper and you're going to have to drink my blood as a drink. But Jesus said, my words are spirit and they are life. We, we read that and we know exactly what he was saying. It was going to be by the giving of his body and blood that you and I were going to live. But boy, to them that don't have an understanding opened, that's foolishness to them. They're blind. So how can this be? It's by the power of God. So Nicodemus says, how can this be? How can a man be born when he's old? Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb? Jesus answered, verily, verily, except a man be born of the water and of the Spirit. So that word born, again, it means to begat. It's the same word. So except a man be begat of the water and of the Spirit. So where is this birth coming from? From the water and the Spirit. This birth is produced by the water and the Spirit. We would say that Jacob was begat by Isaac and Rebekah, wouldn't we? See, people would say that lost people, they're begat by God and the church. That's what people think, that the church is the church is doing it. The church has got some credit. The church is precious. I don't disagree with that at all. The church is precious. The church is precious because she is the chosen and elect of God that He's called out of the world, that He's cleansed and washed and sanctified, that He's made new creatures out of, and that He dwells in the midst of. But He doesn't say except a man be born of the church and God. It's the water and the Spirit. So we know that He says by the washing of water by the Word. It's that washing of water by the Word that He sanctifies and cleanses His church. Why, preacher, I thought the church was doing some work in the people being born again. You find me that in the New Testament and I'll agree completely with that. You show me where the Scripture says the church is birthing people into the kingdom of God and I'll amen you and go with you all day long. But I promise you this, it is not there. And you might go back to dark sayings and say, well, Hannah prayed and God delivered. You might say, well, Rachel prayed and God... That's got to be the church. That's your, that's your opinion if you can't find it explicitly said or stated, then that's an interpretation of something without now, without any evidence to back up what's being said. According to Jesus, the Spirit and the water is what's bringing people into the kingdom. Now this is the method that God chose for children to be brought into the kingdom. Why is it like this? Because God chose the foolishness of preaching 
And the necessity of the Spirit is that it was the Spirit of God that brought Jesus from the dead and it's the Spirit of God that will bring us from the dead. And so all the Trinity plays part in this salvation. God the Father made the plan. God the Father elected a church. That Jesus Christ died for the church that they could be saved. And the Holy Spirit is one by one bringing them to life through the gospel and bringing them to Jesus. And not one of the Lord's sheep is going to be lost. Not one. Not one of them will perish without salvation. You can rest in that. You can rest in that. How are they being born? By the water and the Spirit. In Titus chapter 3, verse 5, not by works of righteousness which we have done. Not by works of righteousness which we Well, they're saved because we. That don't work. Ecclesiastes says, As thou knowest not what is the way of the Spirit, nor how the bones do grow in the womb of her that is with child, even so thou knowest not the works of God who maketh all. That's right. I'll never forget when I, I was expecting, and I read this and I I don't know how these bones are growing in my womb. I don't understand all that. So I don't. I didn't understand when I was being born in the spirit in the church because I. It was just not in us to understand it. Right. God. God has a plan, and and we don't. We don't do it. No, we don't. No. He's accomplishing it through us. And so in Titus, it's not by works of righteousness. It's not that I came. It's not that the church came. It's not by any work that man done. But according to His mercy, He saved us. You know what mercy is? If you go to the courtroom tomorrow and you say, I would like to plead mercy. I would like for you, judge or jury, to show me some mercy. There's guilt present there. And I'm looking for a sentence that's less than what I deserve. You see what that is? It's looking for somebody to show some compassion and be merciful in their dealing with us. I'm telling you, we were dead lock, stock, and barrel. We were chained and we were like the three Hebrew children in in Babylon. We were prepared and deservingly ready to be thrown into the furnace of fire. We deserved to die in the condition that we were in and lift our eyes in hell and never get out of that fire. That's where I was going. That's what I had earned. And to God's truth in the flesh, that's what I thought I wanted. Till God opened my eyes, it was what I wanted. But God was merciful. He did not give you what you deserved, did He? According to mercy, He saved us. By the washing. What do you wash with? It ain't diesel fuel. It's water. We wash with water. By the washing of regeneration. Boy, we've got a new birth here. 
He saved us by washing and regenerating us and renewing of the Holy Ghost, the Word, and the Spirit. It's what came to us, awakened us, and brought us to the Lord Jesus Christ. Maybe this is questionable in the minds of man, but I believe it to be true for me, I do. When God done this work, I couldn't resist Him. I mean, He brought me. I was broken. I was lost. I was looking at the place where I was heading. I saw the loving Savior that gave His life for me. I couldn't stay. I was drawn to Him. This is the work of God in salvation. In Romans chapter 10, verse 17, So then faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. Well, preacher, I had faith and I exercised it at the right time, and it was that faith that saved me from destruction. According to this, faith's not in everybody. But faith comes by hearing. How did we hear? By the opening of our ears by the Holy Ghost of God. We had been alive for how long and we'd never heard, had we? You had listened. You had been in the presence of the gospel. But you didn't hear till God opened your ears. And when God opened our ears and we really heard, what happened? Faith came. Persuasion. Boy, that persuaded me real quick. Persuaded me that I was wrong and that I was in need. That's what God does. God persuades man. 1 John 5 verse 1. Read it right. Whosoever believeth that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. And everyone that loveth Him that begat Him loveth Him also that is begotten by Him. So is He saying here that if you believe in Jesus, you're born of God? I don't, I don't think that's what He's saying. If you read it close, I believe what's being said here is if they believe that Jesus is the Son of God, they have been born again. The reason that they believe is because they've been born again. The reason that they see is because there's been a work of God done. You can't believe without being born again. You can't see without being born again. I don't believe to be born again. If you'll come and believe, you can be born again. No, that ain't true. You'll come and believe and repent because you've been born again. Because God's done a work. Because God has opened your eyes in conviction. You must be born of the water and of the Spirit. You cannot enter. This birth must happen before I can see. The birth must happen before I can come in. I can't come in without first this birth occurring and taking place. Well, preacher, I always thought that me being born again came from me coming to the altar. 
I understand that 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 has been the traditional thought. I believe that's milk and not strong meat. But I think if you grow just a little and you remember the day that God saved you, you can see that plainly there was a work done in you before that you came to God. And the reason that that day you came to God, it was because of the work that God done in you before you ever believed. You did not believe before. You were lost before. You were guilty. You were on the road to hell. You did not repent. You didn't come to God. But God said, let there be light. And the light shone in your heart. Your eyes and your mind were open. You recognized that you were lost. You recognized that Jesus was your only hope. And you came to Him. It's natural. But what happened first? God did a work first. We love Him because that He first loved us. If He don't make the first move, we're not moving. God makes the first move. God awakens us. He quickens us. He brings us from the dead. And we can respond to Him because of the work that He did in us by the Spirit. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. And that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Nicodemus, you're going to have to separate this out and get it right. Maybe this doesn't sound uh, theological to us. But now here's a man that's of the seed of Abraham. He was born into the natural lineage and seed of Abraham and they had all of their trust in that they could trace the line back through the promise of God. They thought who they were mattered. Nicodemus, it doesn't matter who you are. That which is of the flesh, that's flesh. But there's something more that has to happen. That which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Matthew 5.20 Except your righteousness shall exceed the righteousness of other scribes and Pharisees, ye shall in no case enter into the kingdom of God. Now you're speaking about, Paul himself wrote down, the straightest sect of the Pharisees. If there was a people that were out to live the letter of the law, it was the Pharisees. Their daily mission was to try to keep this as close and live it as close as they could. And Jesus comes out at the Sermon on the Mount and says, you're going to have to be better than the Pharisees are if you're coming in. You see the reaction? How can that be? I can never be like they are. See, it's not in the flesh, is it? That's what the Pharisees wanted. They wanted your high opinion of them. They wanted you to think highly of them. They wanted you to look up to them as being some of the most dedicated and righteous and God-loving people that they were on the face of the earth. And they wanted you to know that you could never really be like them. They were above and they were better and they were more righteous than you ever could dream of being. 
and God says, if you're getting in the kingdom, you're going to have to be better than they are. See, there's a difference in flesh and spirit. In Romans 1, you've got two types of people that are lost. In Romans chapter 1, you've got people that are in the Gentile world and they're drunkards and they're drug addicts and they're homosexuals and they're adulterers and they're all manner of wicked people. And then in Romans chapter 2, you've got a whole other group of people that are religious, of people that are part of the church, of people that are not adulterers, of people like Paul the Apostle who is a good, upstanding, and blameless by the law. But you know what he was? He was a sinner just the same. You're going to have to be better than a Pharisee if you're getting into the kingdom. You're going to have to be born of the Spirit. Paul the Pharisee had to be born of the Spirit. And Peter, the vile fisherman, he had to be born of the Spirit. There's none without. Nicodemus, that which is flesh is flesh. Forget about who you are. Forget about your rank. Forget about your knowledge. Forget that you're the master teacher. None of that matters. That's flesh. If you're getting into this kingdom, you must be born of the Spirit. We'll stop there.